We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Friday. Y'all know what that means. It is Friday free for all. We are going to answer all of your Notre Dame team recruiting questions. We're going to we would love to talk some college football as the season's right around the corner. We want we do have some questions about that. And so this is going to be a fun day. I have a feeling we're going to talk about one particular subject one time <laughs> and then we don't need 87,000 questions about it. Uh, we appreciate all the questions, but when we are just going to do this one first, guys. So obviously we know what everybody's talking about, what everybody wants to know about. Eric O'Brien with a super chat about it. Thank you, Eric, for the super chat. But he said, how worried should we be about Keon's visit to Alabama? We have a, a an Intel piece on this yet, yesterday on Irish Breakdown, the message board. You, that's why you should be a premium member. Essentially, it's this, guys. Notre Dame was well aware of this visit beforehand. Keon has communicated it to Notre Dame. He's been very open and honest with Notre Dame. There are some people around him that just want him to be certain of his decisions, see other places, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which is going to lead him to visit some of the schools he's interested in. I expect him, obviously, he's going to be visiting Alabama uh, today. There's people reporting it's a three-day visit. That's a little misleading. That's kind of like saying an unofficial is a three-day thing. It's really you get in, drive up Friday afternoon evening you're there then you have the next day and then you kind of get up the next morning and drive back so that's kind of what the three-day visit looks like Notre Dame sources that I have and sources around Keon that know Keon they all seem to be very confident that when it's all said he's going to end up at Notre Dame but at the same time I think it would be uh, a bit I mean if I'm going to sit there and tell everybody Ryan that that no no nothing to worry about nothing at all for a kid to visit an edge rusher to visit Alabama uh, no, nothing to see here. I think that would also be as, as misguided as, as the sky is falling and, and, oh, he's gone and all this stuff. Those are two extremes that I would encourage people to not take hold of. I think it's one of those things where feel confident about the position Notre Dame has put themselves in, but also be real, real, you know, look at and say, hey, when Alabama puts their, you know, their, their target on the kid, they've got a great success rate. And we're going to learn a lot about whether or not this coaching staff can keep him. But yes, it, are we concerned about it to the degree that if they weren't a player at all, you wouldn't visit. Right. So, I mean, that's kind of where things are. So 
Uh, Notre Dame feels good about where they stand with him. People around Keon, people that know Keon feel that at the end, he's definitely Notre Dame, all Notre Dame. However, uh, you know, he, he is taking the trip and, and, Anytime a kid goes to Alabama, Ryan, you'd be foolish to just completely dismiss it as no big deal, in my opinion. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Trade Coffee sent us two new flavors after my wife filled out their quiz. Big City French Roast from Joe Coffee in New York City and Black Velvet from Atomic Coffee Roasters in Massachusetts. The Black Velvet was a dark roast with a note of burnt sugar, graham cracker, and malted milk balls. It was a very rich but smooth flavor that reminded her a bit of her favorite dessert, creme brulee. The Big City French Roast was also a dark roast, which is right up my wife's alley. And it was flavored with burnt sugar, baking chocolate, and roasted almonds. The smell in the kitchen while she was preparing a cup of coffee put a smile on my face. And she said the taste was even better and sweeter. And she didn't pick these flavors. They were chosen by Trade after she filled out a short quiz. You got to give this a try. And Trade Coffee connects customers to the freshest and best tasting coffee they've ever made at home by partnering with the country's best craft roasters. These are independent businesses from big cities and small towns. Trade customers are truly impactful for these independent roasters, often being the largest source of new growth for them. Trade's coffee team actually taste tests thousands of coffees to keep 450 different kinds live and ready to ship every day. There's no one perfect coffee, but there is a perfect coffee for you, and Trade's human-powered algorithm will find it. Trade is so confident they'll match you right the first time that if they don't, They'll take your feedback, and an actual coffee expert will work with you to send you a brand new bag for free. Right now, Trade is offering new subscribers a total of $30 off your first order plus free shipping and handling when you go to drinktrade.com forward slash Irish. That's more than 40 cups of coffee for free. Get started by taking their quiz at drinktrade.com forward slash Irish and let Trade find you a coffee you'll love. That's drinktrade.com forward slash Irish for $30 off. No, I agree with you. I think that, I mean, it's definitely something worth talking about. There's no doubt about it, right? I mean, you have a committed kid that's going to what has been at times a dynasty under Nick Saban, right? So sure. it, it is, it is a, it's a, it's a fact that we have to deal with. There's no doubt about it. My biggest pushback is that, I mean, one, our intel is our intel, right? Like mm-hmm. that we think that that Keon Kelly is very solid in Notre Dame. The other part of it is, 
is that this is not the first time we're talking about this, right? right? Like we've talked about this with Alabama before. We talked about this with the University of Florida before, right? Ohio it's State, gonna, Ohio State. We're going to keep talking about it. The point, the point blank to this is, is that Keon Keeley is a legit five-star top ten player in this year's class, mm-hmm. and until he signs on the dotted line, people are going to keep coming after him. Okay, and the one thing I also want to say is that there is a lot of people, and I've seen it on the message board, on Twitter, all over the place, that are saying like, oh, well, it, it, he's obviously not locked in because he's taking this visit. I am going to put say this. This young man is a 17-year-old kid that has other people around him, right? He doesn't make mm-hmm. every single decision for himself. There is some influence to the support system that right. is around him. So let's not paint him as that, the, oh, he, does, he doesn't believe in Notre Dame. He's not locked in a Notre Dame. Right. That doesn't have to be true. So right. let's just let's chill. Let's right. Chill. We could we could say, yeah, he's not locked in from the standpoint of he's taking visits. But at the same time, look, I guess my my frustration is, is do I want every kid that's committed to Notre Dame to stay committed? Yeah. But it doesn't make him a bad kid or because sure. otherwise is Nos Austin Novasat a bad kid. Right, because he's committed right. to Baylor right now and right. taking visits. Yeah, Notre Dame's flipped kids mm. before, right? right? This is part of the right. look. The reality is this is big boy football, right? Bingo. Notre Dame fans have been begging for years. We've got to get more five stars. Got to get more. This top is what happens. Well, this also, is what happens. Yeah, it comes right? the territory. And if you're a 17 year old mm. kid who's an elite football player in Alabama, and you're from Florida, the South, and Alabama likes you, you, you know, look if you're if you're, it's kind of like this. If if you if the best academic institution in the country once is ha- is interested in you for your chosen field you'd be foolish not at least give them some consideration right and that's what this is now i believe that that the main influence influencers around keon from everything we know are pro notre dame sure and and so i think that bodes well for him i think keon is pro notre dame but i also think there's people around him that say hey look i just want to make sure that this decision is being made with all the data and all the facts sure. and all those type of things so End of the day, uh, should people be concerned about it? Yeah, anytime Alabama pushes for a kid, there's there's cause for concern. But this isn't a situation where it's just a matter of time and the sky is falling and all that other kind of stuff. I would encourage you not to do that. Uh, I don't anticipate Keon coming out of this visit flipping his commitment. I don't think that's going to happen. Right. I don't think he's going to come out of his commitment and say, I'm all Notre Dame, right? I just think people are going to be along for the ride. Okay, and Alabama's not going to stop. If Keon Keeley said the day after his visit, I am all 100% Notre Dame, that's not going to stop Alabama from calling. And if he stops answering, that's going to stop Alabama from sending coaches to a school. That's that they didn't get to this point where they've got like six titles in the last 13 years by just being like, oh, okay, you're not interested right now. All right, we'll move on. (laughs) Right. So that's what happens in big boy football. So Notre Dame has to stay on top of it. There can be no period between now and signing day that Notre Dame doesn't treat him like base. I mean, they have to treat him like an uncommitted player, right? Sure, I mean, that's sure. that I'm not saying he is, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the when a kid commits, there's always going to be a change in your contact, right? That's, that's just, that's what I'm more referring to. That can't happen with Keon from now until signing day. They need to talk to him and engage with him. Like he's a kid that they still have to convince because to a degree they, they still do. You know, to a degree, because he there are other schools that are going to keep calling and keep coming and yep. keep chasing because yep. all the way I would until argue they sign. Yes, honestly, I mean, sir, it, I would argue he's the best prospect in, in in high school right now. 
and you would have and you would have an argument if you want to right and and i know there's the quarterback look to me there's no more dominant high ceiling player in the country right now than keon keely in my opinion and he's got the proven production to to show it Mm -hmm. so people aren't just going to back off that kid they're just they're just not right just just like george is going to keep trying to talk to arch manning and, and all these other type of things right that's just the reality of it just like notre dame's still trying to flip kids that are committed to other schools right right yeah you know you, you, you think notre dame stopped calling jason Moore just because he's committed to Ohio state not uh, a no not a <laughs> right so that's the reality of it i'll i'll say this too is that there's a lot of schools that get a little territorial with this type of stuff right sure. so keon Kelly's out of the state of florida do you think that for one alabama florida they all want keon Kelly because he's a fantastic football player but also, let's not be let's not be nearsighted to think that like, wow, Notre Dame came down and got a kid right out of her backyard, and that doesn't piss him off a little bit. Like, let's be honest well, about and that, not just man. piss There's... him off, concern him. Sure, sure. I mean, we've talked about this before. The last thing that these schools in the South want is for kids in the South to realize they can go to Notre Dame and get the education which everybody knows about, but also play at elite football and and, right. and be high draft picks. Right. The last thing that they want is for a kid like Keon Keeley to go to Notre Dame and be a top five draft pick. Yep. That would be really bad news for them because now all of a sudden Notre Dame's going to go into this thing saying, hey, like Marcus Freeman has said this, right? Look, we need to show kids that we can play. You can come here to play championship and elite level. We can get you in the NFL and you can get a great education. Right, right. now, Notre Dame is only doing really – one of those at a truly elite level, they're mm-hmm. trending in the right direction in the other two, but they're not able to compete with the Bamas and the Georgias and the Ohio States yet when it comes to championships, because they don't have one since 88, and producing the high, high-level draft picks. Why do you think Harry Heastan is recruiting has recruited so well over the years? Is it just because of his force of personality or his reputation amongst O-line people? He's the best coach? No, because the results are you go play for him, you're going to be a tie draft pick. Right. I mean, sure. Ryan, how many offensive linemen have you talked to that said that? Like uh, almost every, everyone every that's one, any good? Everyone, right? Yeah. So that stuff matters. And so at the end of the day, these things won't change until you get to the point where you can be on the same footing as Alabama when it comes to selling those three things. And so Notre Dame has to find a unique pitch with Keon. Hey, go there and be the next so-and-so or come here and be the first Keon Kelly. Mm-hmm. Right. That that's going to be that's going to be the reality of it. Help us accomplish something that's going to make you a legend as opposed to just being the next yeah. guy in line to yep. win championship number eight at Alabama or whatever the case may be. Yeah. So I think that would be the pitch and hopefully it works. You know, we'll see. But look, guys, I would just encourage you all. I don't have a problem asking questions about Keon. He's he's a star. Of course, we're going to talk about Keon. Right. Uh, but I would just say try not to get on the emotional roller coaster with this one. Same thing with <laughs> Peyton Bowen. Um, cause nothing, there's nothing we can do about it. Right. And, and we'll exactly. give you, in, if there's Intel to give, I promise you we'll, we'll give it and we'll do our due diligence to find it. We're not going to blow smoke and say, Oh, don't worry about it. Don't sweat it. That that's not what we're doing for him or Peyton Bowen. Mm-hmm. But we also are going to tell you, look, here's, here's the reality. Cause if we really think a kid's going to flip, I, I'll tell you, I mean, just go back last summer and listen to what I said about Amorian Walker. Every single time his name came up, I'm like, I don't think this kid signed with another name. Right. Because we knew the circumstances. So that's where I'm at with this one. So hopefully that addresses the Keon Keeley stuff. And I know there's a lot of questions about it. And I didn't want to just dismiss it, Ryan, and be like, hey, we're not going to talk about it. You know, I had said that in the chat. I was like, you know what? We need to talk about it. Right. Because sure. I, I I just it, it's going to be addressed and, and people want to hear about it. So I, I do want to I did want to give that the due diligence. And that's why we chose to to start things off with it and, and talk about it and address it. And hopefully that uh, 
sort of satisfies everyone's appetites for those questions. And and if it hasn't, you can go to boards.irishbreakdown.com. There's a there long go. thread on Keon. Oh, Keon. yes. Yeah, and, exactly. and we've both interacted in it. Some of us have been a, bit, a little bit pithy with it. I don't, I don't want to point fingers at anybody or anything like that. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll try to give honest feedback about it and let you know how we feel. And if there comes a point in time where we're, 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 we'll get concerned, just like we did on the board with Dante Moore, we'll let you know. Sure. Right? And we'll, we'll let you know for sure. Mm-hmm. So let's move on to some other questions, guys. So now that we have hey. the, the Keon stuff out of the mm-hmm. way. A couple interesting questions here at the beginning before we get to a really interesting college football topic. Ooh. I'm very curious to hear your guys' questions on. Peter, this is – sometimes – some of y'all's names are really great. Wait, what's the avatar? Uh, Peter oh, Pumpkin Peter, Peter Pumpkineater. Uh, av- av- yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah. Happy Friday, Brian. I think the SI rankings are excellent, but can I ask why are they not in the composite? Uh, you can ask that all you want, but that's not really a decision that we have anything to do with. So – I mean, that's just determined by those other sites. I would imagine, if I had to guess, that part of it is is because SI All-American only does an SI-99. They don't do like a full top 200 or 250 or 300, yeah. which makes it a little bit more challenging to include in a in mm-hmm. a, a com- composite or consensus because there's so much fewer kids that are ranked than other guys. Yeah. Uh, SL American also avoids some of the, the other stuff, the fluffy stuff like, you know, star rankings and all that other kind of stuff, which can tend to add points to a, to a thing or whatever the case may be. And honestly, uh, I can say with great authority that the SIL American people don't care, uh, whether they are or are not involved in any kind of consensus or composite their, their focus is just on putting out their rankings and being as accurate as they can. Uh, no fluff, no fluff involved. No, none of that stuff. Just, hey, here's what we think. Right or wrong, here's what we think. So I, I think that's kind of where they are. All right, let's get some questions for you guys down here. I'm going to start off with you guys. So, Ryan, we'll start or, uh, We'll start with you, Ryan, on this next one. And we'll go to Vince, and then I'll kind of share my opinion on it. So John A1 asks, who are your top five players entering the 2020 season in college football? So no this isn't grief. just a Notre Dame-related question, guys. This is sort of a top five players in college football heading into the 2022 season, in your opinion. All right. I, I'm going to be very forthcoming that my list is going to have some NFL draft implications in it. I'm sorry. It's, Shocker. It's what I know. It's what I know, man. It's what I know. No order. Will Anderson, Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Jalen Carter, Michael Mayer. No order. Okay. <laughs> So you said you had three non-quarterbacks, right? Jalen Carter, Will Anderson, Michael Mayer, and then Bryce Stroud and CJ Stroud. Bryce Bryce Young and CJ Stroud. Bryce Stroud sounds like a good football player, though. Just kind of throw that into one. Like we'll get the two quarterbacks because they're always going to be in some sort of list. Ryan, I think the only the only one I would maybe contemplate switching out is is I would consider Bijan Robinson in there instead of michael mayer uh it would be debatable i i was actually surprised one of you guys said michael mayer because i had thought about it but i was like well let's see let's see if they do i'm not sure if i'm ready to go i think he's top 10 for sure you know but but i i would probably i mean the two quarterbacks i'm with you on jalen carter's an absolute monster i mean i thought he was the best d lineman georgia had last year and they had like what two first round picks on their d line last year Three first round picks on their D line last year. That's right, because I keep forgetting Trevon Walker and Dev- I keep forgetting about Devontae Wyatt. That's the one I yes. keep forgetting about. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so and I thought he was their best player last year. You know, there's some corners. You know, the people will throw out. You know, you know, Ricks is a guy though. I'm not. I'm not really a high on the the Ricks train in that regard. I think he's still a lot of hype. You know, as, as far as the consistently proven substance. I, you know, there's a lot of really good receivers. I'm not sure if I would put any of them in this conversation. I don't think any of them are like maybe. star stars. I think a lot Especially of them are stats guys. Maybe, maybe, but, maybe. Yeah. he's got to show me he can be the guy though. That's sure. the one thing, you know, where like, look, he was a tremendous player last year, but it's a lot easier to be that guy when you've got, you know, Garrett Wilson on one side and of you, and then you've got Chris Olave on the other side of you. So we'll see this year if he can be that guy. Now, of course, the one game he played in last year, either one of those two guys, he had over 300 yards receiving. My asterisk on that, as phenomenal as that was, is he was being checked by a lot of dudes that weren't that good because of all the injuries that they had in the secondary last year. It's not like he was out there torching Clark Phillips every other play. No, they, you know? they, st- they stopped throwing at Clark Phillips. Right. Like, all right, we're, we're good. Right. Let's we're pick on the, the backup running back who's now who just scored a touchdown who's also now playing defense. Let's go Clark, after that Clark, guy. Clark had an interception, forced the fumble. They're like, right. we're good. Yeah, we're not <laughs> we going to throw at that, that anymore. guy anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that That would be it. Vince, what's your five? And then I'm curious if you guys well, have some other guys whose names kind of pop in your in your heads as you look at this kind of So thing. you guys covered – I wrote down, you know, four or five guys. You guys covered all of them except for Jackson Smith and Jigba. I think that kid mm-hmm. – I think that kid's a stud. Everybody's bringing him up over here in the chat as well mm-hmm. for good reason. I mean, this kid's – arguably the best wide receiver in the country and i i think i'm a little bit biased because we also get to see him in person on september 3rd and i'm really excited about that so you know diving into ohio state and things like that like he excites me like i i'm excited to see what he can do versus notre dame so uh he would be the only one i would add to the guys that you guys were already talking about for me he's a top 10 player Uh, again i just I have to see him prove that he can be the guy. Sure. Do I think he will? Yeah, that's why I have him in the top 10. But when I when I think of Will Anderson, when I think of Jalen Carter, when I think of Michael Mayer, I'm talking about guys that can just physically take over a football game. Mm-hmm. And and Jackson Smith and Jigba, as primarily a slot last year, is not a guy that I look at and say, is he going to go into you know a playoff game like Devontae Smith did and take over ball games? That remains to be seen to a degree for me. Uh, but again, it's more of a nitpicking elite players in order to figure out who's truly the cream of the crop. It's not a, oh, he's not that good. He's not going to have big numbers this year. No, he's a stud. I personally, I think he's, I, I, I would make the case he is the best receiver in college football. I, Ryan, I think you and I are on the same page. Jordan Addison's a a pretty good player. I think Jordan Addison's Mm -hmm. incredibly overrated in regard to people looking at him as like a top 10 player. He was not the best receiver in college football last year. I know he won the Belitnikoff Award, but that doesn't mean, in my opinion, you're the best player and you know the best receiver in college football. It's that's who they pick. But in uh, any other guys that kind of jump out at you as like like the Ricks kid from Alabama will get a lot of talk. I think Keely Ringo is a better player than he is. Like I I, I just just my opinion as far he's, as we're talking much, about cornerbacks, he's much more talented. If I had to throw out a couple more guys, Miles Murphy from Clemson would probably be maybe in somewhere in the top ten. He's a fantastic defensive mm-hmm. end. I really like Antonio Johnson, the safety from Texas A&M. That kid was a stud last year. He was such a good football player. And then I, this is kind of an off-the-wall pick because it's not a Power 5 guy, but I think Andre Carter from Army deserves a little high. I was going to ask like you about 15 him. 15 sacks or something. Yeah. Yet, Brian, he's like a verified like six six and a half, yeah. 150 pounds. Like, they don't come to Army very often. Man. Yeah, like, you're not going to have – I don't want that guy in combat because it's like uh, how do you hide that guy behind a – 
He was a you put him behind a zero. He was a zero star recruit somehow. Oh, I don't know how. Then he's I, no good. He must be a. He must be a. He must be a then late bloomer, no I guess. But yeah. yeah, he can't be good then if he if he's not there. right. He doesn't have any stars. Yeah, he had a sack against Wisconsin last year. Had a sack in the bowl game against Missouri. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so he, he here's the crazy thing. He had one sack the year before. One sack. I know. Good year. Like talk about breaking, just kind of breaking out of nowhere. Two tackles for loss against both of those teams. So I always like when those kids. I always like looking at how they perform against the better teams on their schedule or against Power Five teams. Yep. And he's performed pretty well in those games, no doubt. He's a good player, man. Good player. Yeah, Michael Mayer, I think is the one. I think, I think that like Clemson has two guys that I think, if healthy, can be on there. Miles Murphy, Brian Breezy is another guy that I think deserves. When he's healthy and on. He's one of the three or four best defensive linemen in college football, in my opinion. It, the problem is I can't put him in this conversation yet. He's like a player-to-watch type of discussion because he hasn't proven to me he can stay healthy and, and, and dominate for a full season. Uh, I just hope that it's – if he dominates this year, that's 11 out of 12 regular season games, not the November, November 5th game in South Bend. He's <laughs> a guy – yeah, yeah. But, I'll say I'll say this, Bri. Like his flashes, like he hasn't put it all together yet, obviously because of injuries and you know mm-hmm. just. I didn't love. I don't love. I didn't. I didn't love how Brett Venables used him in that defense too. Yeah. To be very honest with you, but his flashes are up there with Jalen Carter. Like yeah. he's got special traits as a player. He just hasn't obviously tangibly done it yep. enough right now. A guy that's on my radar as a breakout who's not in that discussion now, who I think could jump in now. I think Xavier Worthy is going to be a star. I absolutely love that kid. And, and between him and Bijan, they are going to complement each other really well. You know, you can't take them both out of the game. If yeah. Texas can get some other guys to step up and provide some support, I think I think Xavier – I mean, because he had – look at his numbers now, 62 catches for 981 yards and 12 touchdowns as a true freshman with Casey Thompson and Hunter Card throwing him passes. Now, I think Quinn Ewers is overrated and people – oh, number one quarterback of all time. He Nonsense. But he's not a bum either. He's got talent. He's got a much bigger arm than some of those guys. And the one thing is, I felt at times they struggled to get him the ball vertically against some of the better defenses because the quarterbacks couldn't get it to him. That's not going to – for all the things we could criticize and nitpick Quinn Ewers about, getting the ball down the field is not going to be a problem. So I have a – I would not be shocked if Xavier Worthy is the player – who's contending for the best receiver conversation with Jackson Smith and Jigba. Cause I think right now he's the clear number one to me. I, I don't think he's arguably the best receiver in college football. I think he is the best receiver in college football. Interesting. Uh, I'm just, I'm just not, I, I, there's a lot of other good players. I'm just not quite as high on like the Jordan Addison's. I, I think I love Josh Downs. I would honestly, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I would be more, I would have more nightmares and headaches trying to defend Josh Downs than I would Jordan Addison, in my opinion, as Agreed. just an individual player. Now, Jordan Addison is going to have better players around him than Josh Downs will, but that's kind of my stance. But Xavier Worthy is a guy that's sort of on my – he let's keep an eye out on that guy, uh, be, you know, as far as someone who could break out. Any, I mean, there's really no linebackers that I look at and say that they're possibly the, – um, The only one that popped in my head, and he's more of a wait-and-see kind of guy because he did have a lot of production last year, but now he's going to be the, the guy, is Trenton Simpson from Clemson. Yeah. He's a really talented player. And he's going to have some dudes in front of him. I mean, we talked about the two other guys, but I mean, you know, Tyler Davis was a guy we were thinking was going to be that star a couple years ago, and he's still a good Mm -hmm. player. He just 
Sure. It's kind of overshadowed by even better players. So mm-hmm. Trent Sims is going to be unblocked a lot this year. And he I mean, can yes, run, sir. Yes. How about no uh, you and Noah Soul fan? Noah Soul might put up some numbers. I, we'll see. I want to see how he's going to look without some of the guys in front of him that he had last year and also with the new defense. Sure. I'm very curious how he's going to adjust to new defense. I think he's a good player. I, just, I get real nervous about Pac-12 defensive players, to be honest with you. Just because I feel like line play in the Pac-12 has been pretty bad in recent mm-hmm. seasons, so it's kind of like let me see how he does against so and so, you know, this team, you know, that that's not a Pac-12 team. So he's he's in my conversation for top seven to eight linebackers, like yeah. the kid from Alabama. But none of those kids to me, like Trenton Simpson's the only guy to me that has just the dynamic all-around athleticism, production, and all that to maybe be in that conversation. I think there's like one other kid. I'm trying to. Uh, there's an SEC Tri- kid. Trivia. Trivia question. Yeah. Trivia question. Who led college football in total tackles last year? Oh, I don't know. FBS. I'm not sure. You have nothing? No. Vince, uh-uh. you got something for me? Uh, no. Big, Jack Big Campbell Ten? in Does Iowa. Jack Campbell from Iowa. Okay. That's it. That's it. 143 tackles last yeah. year, man. Yeesh. Dude was balling. That's some yeah. generous uh, statistical uh Yeah. Recording. Dude had uh, six fewer solo tackles than J.D. Bertrand. Yeah. That's a lot right. of assists. Oh, well. 86 so assisted tackles. That's yeah. a Luke Keekly type. The football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, the football. yeah. yeah jumping on top of that pile at the end. Listen, oh, assist right there. Assist. I, I kept I stats for my that team, okay? Assists are uh, very <laughs> circumstantial, man. I'll tell you that. I, right I, I was the linebacker in the meetings yeah. that was like, we're watching video, and I was like, nope, that's another tackle. My man had three and a half tackles for loss and one sack. He was a he was a dog pile of assist guy is what he was last year. Nah. He's Phil Parker's guy, man. You don't know your generous about. assist, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. All right. Let's get to some more questions here. That was a great one, John. I, I love talking college football. Tommy Guns 44. Hey, that's going to be a great topic for us to kind of take out and put onto the new college football Nate yeah. CFB Nation channel. I just thought mm. about that. If you haven't subscribed to that, you got to do it. Tommy Guns asked, what kind of growth do you think you'll expect to see between the two fall camp practices that you'll get to see all of? So he's not talking about the first and second practices, Vince. I think he's referring to sort of the two open practices, the yeah. full, like the full, full practices. Right. So the first so, one we get is the first practice, mm-hmm. like literally the first practice where they mm-hmm. will only be wearing helmets um, and that's it. So <laughs> it's, it's going to be more of a X's and O's running around. We'll get mm-hmm. to see you know, kind of what guys look like coming off a summer in person for the first time, like that kind of stuff. And then the next one we get to see, I think it's like practice 10. Does that sound about right? Somewhere around there, yeah. Yeah, so it'll be about halfway through. I think it's like the 19th or something like that. Yeah, it'll be about halfway through. It'll be full padded practice. I would imagine we'll get to see them scrimmage. Usually that's the one where they bring in referees and you get to kind of see like a controlled scrimmage type of situation. So they're almost completely different practices. So I do want to preface my comments with that because we're going to be seeing completely different things because you and I both know Brian seeing a guy running around with just a helmet on is a lot different than seeing guys run around full padded I mean it it just is (laughs) I've been really impressed with guys with a helmet and then they put on the full pad you're like oh he's not who I thought he was you know what I mean Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that that's going to be that for Notre Dame um, but but those are things that you have to take into account right so we're talking growth from the first full practice to the second full practice. I want to see the speed of, for example, Tobias Merriweather. And what I mean by that is speed of recognition. 
you know, in, in his first practice, what's he going to look like? It's his first practice, not in a high school uniform. You know, what does that look like? Him running around? Is he keeping up with everybody? And then when you get halfway through, okay, now what does he look like now that he's had half the practices under his belt? Is he starting to fit in? Is he starting to look like the rest of the team kind of a situation? And you could say that for all of the incoming freshmen, not the ones that were here in the spring, but the ones that came in in the summertime. You could say that for all of those guys. Uh, so that's one thing I'll be looking for. I'll toss it back to you, Brian. What what else are you looking for from one to ten? Physicality. So yeah. you're talking about growth. Like mm-hmm. so. So aside from growth, the one thing I want to see is is the energy still there, right? Like that's the thing you kind of get nervous about in the middle of fall camp when you got a team that that really plays with passion, loves Good playing call. football. Good call. The middle of the season is the hard time to be fired up and pat. Middle, middle of camp, camp is the hard yeah. time to be that. You know. Right. Obviously, you want to see. You know, for me, it's going to be it's, it, the, the growth. What kind of growth do you think? It's like, okay, middle of fall camp, Tyler Buckner should start to look more comfortable leading the offense, directing things. You start seeing more of that. Uh, we should start to see, you know, the secondary receiver battle should be interesting. I've always felt that early in fall camp, if your defense isn't ahead of your offense, that's concerning. That's a problem. That's a huge problem. Usually, usually. Yeah. Because because t- offense is about timing, defense is about athleticism and running around being around and, and knowing what your job is. Right? Yeah, right. And the other part of it is the exception, however, Vince, is when you have a part of your team that's elite. Like we thought, the defensive front seven was going to stink in 2017 because they were getting dominated right. from jump to end, and we thought, well, it's just. And then we found out, no, the D line was pretty good. It's just the offensive line was truly elite. Right. And so to me, when I when I look at that, you know, that's an exception. But the other exception, Vince, is, you know, the the reason. um, Hold on a second. The reason that you have to look at it is those are exceptions. Last year, it was okay. Is the D line just that good? Or is the offensive line that bad? When right. you kind of realize it's a little bit of both. Yeah, true. And I think part of the reason the defensive line struggled a little bit early in the season, first couple of games to stop the running game, is because of how bad what they were going against was in practice. Right. And and so they weren't used to the physicality. You know, because Florida State, Ryan and I talked about this the other day, Florida State doesn't have a super talented def- offensive line, but they had a try hard and they had a big offensive line, you know, good size offensive line. Sure. Big, good size offensive line. And that created some problems where they were just dominating the Notre Dame offensive line. Well, then we realized that the Notre Dame offensive line just stinks. So you start getting a little bit, and that's more common than 2017, if we're going to be honest. Sure. So you hope that that you know, that know you're not in a situation where the offense is dominating the defense early. You want to always see a little back and forth. But middle of fall camp is usually when the offense should start controlling the action. And the reason I say Agreed. that is, is the defense only can throw so much at the offense before the offense kind of knows what coverages that you're going to see, you know, it's going to be 10 practices in, they know what coverages are coming. They know the blitzes that are coming. That is when, if your offense is going to be good, that is when the offense starts to really kind of take hold and be kind of, and start to, to dominate the action. So if this is team is going to progress the way you hope a team progresses and a great team progresses in fall camp, defense should really look good early yeah offense should start kind of taking hold of the middle and then by the end of fall camp you're saying like hey look i think this team is going to be pretty good should be even should be you know right. elite play on back and sides. forth day to day exactly yeah, it's kind of it's yeah. kind of or maybe even period you know <clears throat> defense dominates sure. seven on seven offense maybe gets the best of them in team things like that so 
those are the things you want to see. And the other thing that you talk about growth, Tommy, is the individual growth. By by that practice, if like is does is that should be around the time Lorenzo Style starts asserting himself as the guy, a receiver, sure. if that's going to happen Good early point. in the season. Good point. You know, that's the time when Maris Luafau really says, like, hey, I've got this group, not ne- not just from a production standpoint, but from a an emotion and energy. You start to see who the players are feeding off of by practice 10. Practice one, everybody's fired up. By practice 10, it's like, okay, I don't really feel like being here today. I'm every college football player in America, midway through fall camp, is like, I don't really know if I love football this enough. Yeah, <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Like it's a month. Like, it, it's it a month and it's not as bad practice. as it used to be when there was two days and stuff. Where sure. you're just like you really are testing your will. But it's it's still a grind, especially for younger players. But you really start to see who your who your leaders are and how people respond to them. Yeah. You know, because when you have those days where it's like, look, every team goes Bama's gonna go through it, Georgia's gonna go through sure. it, Ohio State's gonna go through it. That day we're just like as a team, a lot of dudes are just like not it's not that they don't want to be there. That's hyperbolic, but it's just like I got nothing, man. I'm tapped yeah. out. I'm 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 tired. I'm sore. I'm this. I'm that. You know, because all summer we're running around and we're catching balls and we're you know, at, but there's yeah, no right. hitting. You know, now you're six <clears throat> seven days of grueling. just nonstop hitting, and you're just like, and then who who are the leaders that fight get them through those tough periods? Sure, that's to me one of the biggest things of growth that I want to see by middle of fall camp, which is about where that practice will be. Uh, and and position battles, I think, are going to become a little bit more clear by the time we get to the middle of camp, right? I mean, you, you there, there's always going to be a battle. You always want, you know, the guy in, in the, who's number two or number three or whatever to push the guy that's ahead of them. You always want that throughout the season. But I think once you get halfway through fall camp, those battles start to shake out a little bit. And we're going to have, I think, some answers to who is winning certain battles by the time we get to the second full practice, you're going to see who's getting the majority of the reps, who's going out with the twos. Now, there there are times, and you can attest to this as a college coach, where you put the number two guy as the number one guy just to see how he does that day, right? And coaches in the past have done that when the media is there, just to F with people. I mean, they, well, especially they do Especially when there's a quarterback battle. Hey, the media's going to be there. Let's make sure that so, number two is getting those yeah. yeah. So, I mean, there is that, and you have to sift through that a little bit, but – I think we're going to see some of those position battles shake out a little bit more once we get to the second full practice as opposed to the first full practice. Yeah, I want to point to that too, Vince. There, I hope that there's a day where we come to practice and Drew Pine lines up at number one. Sure. You have to get your number two quarterback some snaps with the number ones. Absolutely. You have to. Absolutely. Have to. And fall camp's the best – early, middle fall camp's the best time to do that because what you don't want to do is give your starter 60 to 65% of the snaps from day one on. Right. Otherwise, he's going to get dead armed by the middle of fall camp. I hope it's right? not the he's day just... we have full practice access, but right. I'll tell well, you I mean, that. that. That's uh, fine. Because you know, the other guy's still going to get snaps. He's just right. going to get snaps. Sometimes that's good. Like, oh, Tyler went and worked with the twos today, and, and he he was leading him down, mm-hmm. down the field. I mean, that's a, something you learn from a guy. Sure. Because it's not just about getting your number one you know, or your number two number one reps. It's also about seeing how your number one handles when he's not surrounded by the dudes. He doesn't have Mayer to throw to. He doesn't have Tyree to hand off to. Or, right. Right. For Lorenzo to rely on, so I think those type of things are always part of what you want to do. But you've got to get your number two some, yeah, some snaps. I agree with that. A, a, an individual player that I want to see growth from is I want to see how Drew Pine responds to last spring, because I think Drew was pressing a lot because he was trying to win the starting job. I want to see if he can just do just calm down and relax, and go sure. with you, and then let yeah. the chips fall where they may. Yeah, stop pressing. You know, he, and, and he's a competitive dude. Yeah. I I expect the best from him. I do. Um, I, I think that, you know, he's gotten a lot of, uh, 
you know, bad publicity, and I'm not saying it's just the media or whatever, he didn't play well. He knows it, and he'd be the first one to tell you that he didn't play well, right? Mm-hmm. Now's an opportunity. He's had all summer to kind of get back, be him. I want to see the Drew Pine that I've seen at other practices, right? You know, the the, the, the rah-rah guy, but also see that in his play as well. I want him to push Tyler Buckner, right? I want him to push him. I want him to be like, hey, if you can't handle it, man, bro. I'm right here. I got this, you know, and we've said it in the past. Drew Pine can win you a lot of football games. No question about it. So he has to push Tyler Buckner. He has to in order for Tyler Buckner to reach what we think he can reach this year. So, yeah, I agree with you. I I think Drew, I hope to see a rejuvenated Drew, and I hope to see the Drew that we've seen in the past at practice as well. The the swaggy Drew that we saw against Wisconsin. He didn't play a perfect game, but he had some Mm -hmm. swag about him, right? That's what I want to see from Drew. And he could get himself out of a funk in that game. Right. Which yes. he didn't do in the spring. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not talking about the spring game because I, I that was that was just a not it was not a normal game situation. He's leading one team on Playing a drive and he has teams. to sprint down to the offensive so coordinator, hard. get the new play, lead the other team on a yeah, drive. That's so I'm hard. not talking about the spring game. I the issues that I had with Drew in the spring were just things I was hearing all spring, things you guys saw all spring. You know, the turnovers were higher, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so those are those are things that we'll see. So so good good question so far. Yeah, no doubt. Here's here's one. John A1 says, which cornerback tandem was the best at Notre Dame post Lou Holtz? 2018, and that would be uh, Julian Love and Troy Pride. 2010, which is an interesting because it wasn't really a, a – it wasn't a duo. It was – you had Darren Walls, you had Gary Gray, and you had Robert Blanton. It was more of a trio of guys. And then you had 2002, which was Vontez Duff and Shane Walton. So post Lou Holtz, what was the best cornerback tandem for Notre Dame? I, I, for me, it's kind of easy. I mean, I, I, I think it was 2018. Love and pride for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was them. Yeah. To me. yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't really remember 2002 that well. If I'm being completely honest, they were pretty so good. It's kind of yeah. Well, yeah. I know, I know yeah. Shane and and, yeah. and Duff, and I, yeah. I know the names obviously and yeah. the kind of the legacies they have. But Little young. A little young, a little young. Yeah. I was eleven. So I was, I was watching those games through different eyes because I was in college at the time. Okay, so, yeah, yeah. They were yeah. pretty good players. Mm-hmm. I just, I just don't think they were really dynamic athlete. Like, you know, they just weren't super, super dynamic guys. Yeah. But um, I would, I would put them second. I would put Dove and or Duff and Walton second ahead of the 2010. The 2010 group was good. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a great unit. Yeah. It was a good unit, but they they would have some problems against the elite level of competition they played at times that year but it was a pretty good group it was a pretty good group it's only a kick a jump a block it's only a serve it's only a tackle a run it's only for the fans after all it's only pressure you got this adidas When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
Super chat from Coach Bent, 574. Thank you for that very much, Coach Bent. And uh, glad you're feeling a little bit better while you're dealing with COVID. Starting with the 93 team to present, which player has had the best combined NFL and Notre Dame career? Consider the entire Notre Dame careers of 93 team guys. I mean, that that's that's kind of easy, don't you guys think? I mean, isn't it Bryant Young? Oh, that's who I wrote down. I was, okay. I was yeah. going to say Bryant Young. That's yeah. who I wrote down. I mean, yeah, so let's take what, him what out. Was, Who are, what, what, what was Bettis's last year? Was ninety two? Yeah, so he does, yeah, he ninety two. So he's out, right? I is mean, Bryant, you know, is Bryant Young in the Hall of Fame? He just got elected. Okay, yeah, to it. okay, yeah. yeah, and I think he's the only one. I mean, so let's take him out. We all agree on BY. Okay, okay. right. So let's take him out. Who are some other guys? I mean, Quentin Nelson, yeah, Quentin Nelson, Bobby Taylor. I thought was a pretty good NFL player. He Martin, was post ninety three. Yeah. Zach Martin's been Zach Martin. tremendous. Yeah, I was. I forgot Harrison about Smith. He's been yeah. the highest paid guard. I would argue that there's a good chance that Notre Dame has three Hall of Fame NFL ends up with three Hall NFL Hall of Fame. There's a chance that Notre Dame ends up with three Hall of Famers from the Brian Kelly era. Okay. The two offensive linemen and Harrison Smith. It's possible. It's right. Possible. Now again, safety's that kind of that weird position like the designated hitter of May, of it's true, from But he's day. also he's been the highest paid safety here. I don't know if he still yeah. is, but he's yeah. he's you know he'll, he'll wait he'll wait a little yeah. bit. Zach yeah. Martin, I mean Zach Martin doesn't have to play another snap, and he's going to go in the Hall of Fame. Agreed. So, for and Quentin Nelson's like three more seasons yeah. of what he's doing now from being yeah. an old brainer Hall of Famer, right? Unless he, yeah, yeah, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Now I'm just saying, like if Quentin retired now, do I think he's a Hall of Famer? No, he doesn't have the just the body of reports, but he's close because yeah. he's, he's tree keeping up on like the Gale Sayers, Terrell Davis type of longevity. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, but it would be different if. If his career ended because of an injury, and he just or he just yeah. chose, but let's be honest, Quentin Nelson's not quitting, so it's really kind of a useless, <laughs> kind of a useless point, point yeah. to make. <laughs> yeah, but they've had some good players. Like the the late '90s, early 2000s didn't produce a ton of mm-hmm. great NFL players. Like Justin Tuck was a really good NFL player for a long time. Sure. Yeah, uh, you know Tom Carter was okay. Bobby Taylor was probably the best, but Tom Carter was pre '93 as well, so that doesn't even count. Uh, Jeff Burris was a decent NFL player for a, for a while. You know he wasn't uh-huh. he wasn't in the league of those other guys. Stephon Tuitt had very short lived, injury riddled, but when he was playing, he was, he was good pretty player. good. Ronnie Stanley, Ronnie Stanley's been good so far. He's, he's been, been so injury injured. prone. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But he had, and he's really hmm. only had like that one great year. You know, he kind of built towards that, and then you know, just the injuries yeah. have kind of kept him down. He but was. If he can stay healthy. He, was he can insane. be in that conversation. Three years ago, he gave up six pressures the whole season. It was insane. Ronnie Stanley had an inc- six pressures in 16 games. That's not sacks. That's nuts. Six pressures in that 16 nuts. games. And that, I mean, it's a running offense, but, like, still, it's insane. Right. Here, here's a question, I think, though. Bryant Young, I mean, we were all pretty quick to say Bryant Young and then a mix of, like, so I would say Zach Martin's my second guy after mm-hmm. – after, um, after, yeah, I would say he's second after 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 him. How close do you think that gap is? I guess is my question. Do you think Zach's close to Brian yeah. Young, or do you think there's a yeah. clear gap? I think Zach's close. Yeah, because like to me, Zach has been the best guard in the National Football League for at least five or six years. You know, yeah. maybe there's a season where this guy had a really good season, and, and the only person that's really challenged in the last couple of years is Quentin Nelson. Yeah, exactly. from everything I've read and everyone that I talk to that follows the NFL, I think I think Harrison Smith is also in that conversation. I mean, Harrison Smith for about a three, four year period is probably the best safety in the NFL yep. from, from, from people I've talked to and things I've read, or he's at least in that conversation. And that's, and that's, of it. that's one of the things that you check off as yeah. a hall of famer though. Were you the right. best at your position for any period of time? Right. He has that checked off in my opinion. Right. A, a guy that I would be very, would have been very curious about if not for injuries 
is um, Aaron Taylor because you know he won a Super Bowl. He was started his career pretty good. He just couldn't stay healthy after a while. But he started off as a pretty good player. Remember, he was on that Packers team that beat the beat the Patriots and then lost to the Broncos. He was a starter on that offensive uh, line. Okay. I lost uh, track with, of him when he yeah went to the before NFL, injuries kind of kind of suck in. Here's a, here's another one. Jeff Fain was a good player in the NFL yes. for a while there too. It was a little short lived, yeah. you know. But, but he yeah, was the best player. center for a little while. Yeah. I mean, he was. Yeah. So I mean, it, so there's injuries have kind of hurt a couple other guys too. Uh, you know, I mean, I think there's been some guys that I thought, you know, curious how this guy could do. Jalen uh, Smith. But, yeah, Jalen yeah. Smith is, is one. I think if not for the knee injury, Jalen Smith would have been a phenomenal player. I, I agree. And there's been solid players. You know, Ray Zeller was okay. Derek Mays was a, a nice, you know, complimentary receiver for a, a, a time in his career. Just looking to some other guys right now that that were uh, – you know, Courtney Watson didn't do a whole lot. Julius Jones had a couple nice years for the Cowboys. He had a he couple thousand-yard seasons. Yeah, he did. Yeah, Justin Tuck <clears> we <throat> talked about. Anthony Vassano was a decent NFL player. Ryan Harris is a really good NFL. He doesn't get talked about a lot. Ryan Harris is a really good NFL football player. He's got sure. what, two rings, two Super yeah. Bowl rings. You know who was pretty good, who was actually better as an NFL player than he really was a college player, was Ryan Grant was actually good for a yeah. couple years with the Packers. Yeah. He was a pretty good player. I would I would argue the same thing about Luke Pettigrew. Oh. Now, Ken, he was first-round draft picks. He clearly wasn't a bum in college, but I felt he was a little bit better in, in the NFL than he was in college because that, that's back when I was actually still still watching the NFL. Luke, Luke was good, man. That was a good yeah. Giants line. He was a good player. Yeah. Golden Tate was a good NFL player, not not special. Uh, John Carlson before the injuries. I'm just kind of looking through over the years. Cal, yeah, Cal Rudolph's are, been a good tight end. Yes, very, very solid, steady tight end. Not great, yeah. but I, you look, like Vince said, you've got to give yourself some – some ability to say, "Hey, look, this guy was a good period for a, a good player for a period of time." Right. Uh, that matters hey, as far as that have a resurgence. Tyler, Tyler, right. the Bucks, you watch. Right. Yeah. Right. Tyler Eifert. It, if he didn't get hurt. Well, yeah, because he he, get hurt, he was on the verge of. I mean, that one year he was a Pro Bowl player. He had like he had ten plus touchdowns. touchdowns. Yeah, it was, it was insane. Crazy. Michael yeah. Floyd's another one. If it wasn't for the off the field issues, I think yeah, he was on yeah. the verge of becoming a really good NFL. I mean, he was coming off a thousand yard season in yeah. Arizona and. They had a great three-man punch at oh, wide yeah. receiver down there in Arizona for a little while. Yeah, sure did. So, oh, yeah, Theo, Riddick, and, and, Theo Riddick was quietly a good NFL player for a few years again too. before the injuries. Quietly. Yeah, yeah. So I just you know you'd, you'd like to hopefully in the next ten years we're talking about somebody as a quarterback, you know, breaking into that conversation because nice. a, a lot of linemen, a lot of linemen in that and tight ends in that conversation. Yeah, which leads to another question that I wanted to bring up, guys. I thought there was a question here that I thought was really good. Speaking of kind of this topic of conversation, right? So it's a really easy transition. But just your ordinary Joe, Vince is your guy, rocking the IB gear and his avatar there. O-line you or tight end you? Which moniker is more deserved? So let's set the premise, Ryan, of what that means first. Mm -hmm. Like, what does it mean to be O-line you or tight end you? Do we believe that it's about dominance in the college level, then leading to, to high draft picks, like to me, that's what it means. It's it's. Yeah. I don't care about what they do in the NFL. It's dominance in high in college for a period of time that then leads to producing a lot of drafted players, especially higher drafted I, players. I like fair? that premise. Yeah, I like that premise. My next question would be: Are we talking from a purely historical perspective, or are we taking this back like ten years? That's my. Well, next I mean, question. I think for me, the whole tight end you thing, O line you thing, has been a relatively recent adventure adv- invention. Because so I would say I don't really want to go beyond 15, 20 years for that. I mean, because if you're going to go all time, you start bringing in the Joe Moore era, and sure. you know, and and I don't know if that was really a thing back then. 
And mm-hmm. I don't know if you and I, uh, if any of us are, are, we're old enough during that era to really be able to say what other teams were like. We watched Notre Dame when we were kids. Yeah. You sure. know? Uh, sure. So, and I think I'm the only person that was in double digits in years the last time Notre Dame won a championship. Right. And Joe Moore was in his prime. So, well, let's just kind of go last, say 15, 10, 15 years. First of all, it's easier to be tight end you than it is to be O-line you because there's less people involved. I mean, it, there, there's five starters on the on the field for the offensive line. There's, in theory, one, maybe two starters for def- for tight end. So I think it's easier to be tight end you than it is to be O-line you. So I want to throw that out there. I, I don't disagree with that. I would say, though, I think it's O-line you over tight end you. Mm-hmm. If I had to say State one your is case. more appropriate. I mean, because the names, right? Like, mm-hmm. not only were they great college players, talking about Ronnie Stanley, Zach Martin, Quentin Nelson, Nick Martin, Mike McGlinchey. Like, their are names right there. They're also, most of them, developed into really good NFL players. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of first-round draft picks, I just said well, as well. And definitely higher draft picks. Yes. A lot of the tight ends, I mean, Notre Dame has had a string of a lot of good, like, really good college tight ends that developed into, like, Solid to good tight ends in the NFL, right? So we're talking about, you know, guys like Kyle Rudolph and Tyler Eifert before he was injured, John Carlson. Like, it's a good list. But for me, if you're stacking that tight end group against, I mean, if we're if we're taking it back like 15 years, we could talk about the, the you giving out guys like Jeremy Shockey and uh, Kellen Winslow Jr. And that and Jimmy Graham and like that brand of tight end too, right? So I would say O-line you, Notre Dame has a little bit of a gap in my opinion, but tight end you, I think is a conversation. Vince, for me, what it comes down to, if we're just looking at, for example, college recruiting, I I think they recruit tight ends better than they do offensive linemen. If you're looking at a star ranking and you're looking at a ranking situation, that that's what I think. Now I will also say that I think that if you're looking at the entire longevity, I'm with Ryan. I think the offensive linemen have been more successful in a, uh, NFL draft situation, the NFL period, all of that. I think offensive linemen have more of a legacy in the NFL beyond Notre Dame than t- the tight ends do. And so if I had to pick one, and I was kind of setting you guys up by saying tight end is easier than offensive line, I'm still going mm-hmm. O-line you. I still think that the O-line is Notre Dame's calling card right now. Yes, they are fantastic with with tight end. And this is a great conversation to have. Because I still think that they're better than most colleges across the country in both, right? But if I have to pick one, it's going to be O-line you because I think they've had more sustained success at offensive line and then beyond in the NFL. I'm going to throw something out there to you. Here's my issue with calling Notre Dame O-line you as more deserved as tight end you. Ryan, your NFL draft comments are very on point. But my only pushback would be, you just see a lot more offensive linemen being drafted in the first round. I mean, Cole Komet was the first tight end drafted in 2020, but he wasn't taken until the second round. Right. You're not going to see an offensive tackle go and you're not going to, I don't think you're going to see a draft where there's a, not an offensive tackle or offensive lineman taken, taken in like the first, first round, five right? <laughs> or the first, yeah. first round. Yeah. So, but, but here's, here's the bigger pushback for me. Notre Dame was clearly the best offensive line operation from an NFL draft standpoint and all that during Harry Heastan's tenure. But number one, it took him a couple of years to really get the whole thing going because he had to recruit top players. He had some really good players like on the 2012 line, but then there were some guys that weren't that good. With all due respect to Mike Golick Jr. and Christian Lombard and Braxton Cave, they weren't to the same level as like 
though the other guys opposite McGlinchey and Nelson and Stanley in 15, right? Like 2012 had good players. Braxton Cave was got spent some time in the NFL, and I think would have had a longer NFL career if not for the injuries he sustained during his Notre Dame career, in my opinion. Right. Well, Mike Joel Golick Jr. did a great job in 2012, gave you everything he had, everything Absolutely. he had, but he just no wasn't a super – and I think he would tell you this. He wasn't a super talented player. He's not Alex Bars, right? Right. And I think that's the difference between for me is the the time period where Notre Dame truly dominated offensive line play was a very short window, and then Harry left, and Notre Dame plummeted in my opinion three out of those four years. And then they were okay under Ed Warner, so you can mm-hmm. only I mean you can only argue Notre Dame was O line you for only like half of Kelly's tenure, right? But that but that half was so but, dominant. I get that I yeah. get that. Whereas tight end. I mean, literally every starting tight end at Notre Dame has been drafted going back 20 years. You know what I mean? And, and you know, you, you've had guy after guy after guy. You know, you had Eifert and Rudolph together in 2010 and 11. Or, excuse me, in 2010. You know, you had Eifert was a was the best tight end in college football. Michael Mayer, I think, is the tight end, best tight end in college football. And in between, you've had some good football players. You know, Ben Koyak was a good football player. Um you know, I think Troy Nicholas had one good season. I thought he was dra- overdrafted a little bit for just one good season. Yep. You know, Alizé Mack, when he was right, was a good player. Derm Smythe was a good player. The, the, the counter argument is, but you could make a stronger case that other schools are tight end you over Notre Dame, where if you look at that window Ryan was talking about, there was no discussion about who tight O-line you was. Mm-hmm. Iowa, for the last 10 years, can flat out go toe-to-toe with Notre Dame in regard to pumping out NFL tight ends and productive college tight ends. They haven't always gotten the hype that they deserved in the NFL draft with some of their players, George Kittle, but they're also the only team, as far as I know, in the last 15, 20 years have two tight ends taken in the first round of the same draft. Yeah, that was impressive. Right? That was the first time that ever happens, just in general. So, I mean, that's, that's yeah, that's pretty impressive, right? So I I, yeah. I just think that, that if you're going to go longevity, I lean towards more tight end. But as as Ryan, as That's, you said, the the the, the yeah. short term brilliance of the Harry Heastand era to me makes that impressive. And now here's the thing: he's back, right? And so I think we're going to see that established again. So it's 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 going to be interesting. But I I think that they're at the end of the day they're both well deserved. I'd mm-hmm. probably lean more towards O line if we're going to keep it a shorter window. If we're going to take it 15, 20 years, it has to be tight end you because if we take it to 15, 20 years. There's a lot of years with some really bad offensive line play sure. in there. If you know, so if we keep a well, Kelly was, era, it's O line. Yeah. If we go back 20, it's got to be tight end because like the Charlie Weiss era after 06, the offensive line play was atrocious. Right, right. Atrocious. Well, I was gonna I was gonna say, especially even if you want to take it even further back and just do it from a completely historical um sense, I would argue tight ends overall. Oh, it's no question in general. Because then you're yeah. talking about like Mark Bavaro, Irv Smith, Ken McAfee, Dave Casper. Dave Casper. There was yeah. there was a Notre Dame team I think that ended up having three first round tight ends on the same roster. Right. Right. Like there was one year Oscar McBride who didn't get drafted but played in the NFL was like their fourth tight end. I mean they had some insane tight end depth in the Lou Holtz era, and yep. hardly any of them caught more than yeah you know, ever caught the thirty passes just because of the type of the offense they had. But yeah, Irv Smith and Derek Brown played together for a couple of years. I mean, and it just. Yeah, you're, you're, if you're going to go back, the further you go back all time, all time, like go back like the last 50 years, Ryan, it's a no-brainer. It's no yep. name. I mean, Agreed. I wrote an article today actually at irishbreakdown.com about how Michael Mayer was named to the watch list for 
the Walter Camp Award, which goes to the best player in college football. Go to offensive player, defensive player, whatever. The Notre Dame's had four guys win it, which is tied for second behind USC, who's had six. Uh, and their six is sort of an asterisk because one guy won it twice. It's five players have won it six times. OJ won it twice. Mm. The first Notre Dame player to win the Walter Camp Award as the best player in college football was Ken McAfee, who was a tight wow. end. This is back in the 70s. So, and that's whose records Tyler M- Michael Mayer's been shattering the last couple of seasons as well, by the way. Uh, and, and, you know, with, 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 with what he's done. So I just thought that was interesting to your point, Ryan, if we're going to go all time, Mark Bavaro is not considered a top five, all time Notre Dame tight end. If that tells you anything about how good tight end play has been. In Notre he Dame. was, he was phenomenal with the he Giants. Was, phenomenal. He was, yeah, he yep. was. So, I mean, and you know, it, it's just, uh, it's, it's, I mean, he was pretty good with Notre Dame too. He was a fourth round draft pick. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, um, Quite, quite the tight end tradition at Notre Dame. There's, there's no doubt about that. Great, great question so far. Really sparking a lot of good conversation. Here's a really good one, Vince. I'm gonna, have, I'm gonna have you start off with this one. So, Vince, will the 2022 season be defined by Coach Reese's quarterback development ability? The word "defined" is a strong word, but I can't disagree with that statement because we've made. I don't want to say excuses. We've we've made arguments for what has gone, what has transpired. Justifications. On, yeah, yeah, justifications. With, with Coach Reese. That's a better right. reason. That's a better word. Justifications for the quarterback play or development under Coach Reese as he has been the quarterback's coach, right? And I think they're all justified. I do. I think they're all justified. There's no more excuses at this point. There's, there's no more. He, Tyler Buckner has been under the tutelage of Tommy Reese. And if Tyler Buckner has not developed, then that's you, you have to look at Tommy Reese. You have to. And, you know, I, I think that this season is going to go a long way to tell us where the development of these quarterbacks are. I, I do. Now, I there's a lot of good things that you can point at. I think Jack Cohn's development within the season last year was really, really good. I think you got to give Tommy Reese a lot of credit for that, right? I, I think that playing Tyler Buckner last year, in the manner in which we talked about in the preseason and what we wanted to see that happened. I think you got to give Tommy Reese a lot of credit for that, not only as the quarterback's coach, but also as the offensive coordinator, right? I think that this year with Tyler taking over and being the full-time starter and needing him to be a complete quarterback, if he is, you have to give credit to Tommy Reese. You have to. If he's not, then I think you have to question Tommy Reese's ability to Develop quarterbacks. I think you do. And so this year is it's crucial. It's it's it is a defining year for Tommy Reese, no question about it. And then moving forward, let's say he does it this year, we're all satisfied. Then Tyler needs to take another step next year. And can right. he get him to that next step? So I think it'll be another defining year. So if he passes the you know, if he passes uh QB development 101, well, there's a 102 class coming right behind him, and what you're gonna have to take, and you're gonna have to pass that too. So I, I think it's an ongoing debate for Coach Reese, but I think that's a legitimate uh, question going in. Ryan, you got I, more to add to that? Yeah, no, I was going to say I agree with Vince. I think the fine is a little too strong just for the simple fact of just singular on Coach Reese because I think there's a lot of parts of this team that are going to have to get better and get more – I mean, get taken to a higher level. And, I mean, we're talking about I'll also Coach Freeman's first year, right? Like he's going to kind of define what the 2022 season looks like as far as how he – Runs a program. Sure. I will say this though to 
to Vince's point, and I agree with it 100%, 2022 is going to define a lot of the perception of Tommy Reese because I think there's mixed feelings on him a little bit, right? Like I think there's a lot of people that can say, I like how he calls a football game, but there's also parts, you know, from the quarterback recruiting side, from the quarterback development side that needs to get answered, right? It needs to get better. So I think the 2022 season can define whether he is – you know, one of the better offensive co- offensive coordinators in college football or can define whether he's just kind of thought about as kind of a lackluster offensive coordinator, if that makes sense. This is the first time Tommy Reese will be coaching a guy that he re- he chose as a recruit, recruited, signed, and has only been the only person to coach him. So that is something certainly to, to keep an eye on and I think adds more to the whole um, idea of – this is the first chance I think we can really truly say this is all on all on you. Right. And so that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm at for that. Well, so- and, and it's very similar to when we talked about coach Quinn last year, right? Remember we talked about the fact that he, this is going to be his defining year because all of these guys are his guys. It's a very similar conversation for coach Reese, I think. Right. It didn't go great for coach Quinn. Right. <laughs> no, he did not well, pass that class. I think we would all agree that we think he's a better coach than Jeff Quinn was. <laughs> That's fair too. All right. That's Here we fair. go. Good, good good questions. So we do have a super chat from Brendan Manning. He says, with numbers tight in 2024, do you think the staff should have waited on Wayful? Seems like there's a lot of high-end talent on the D-line board. Ryan, I'll kick that one to you. It's a great question. I will say this. I push back on the tightness of the class sometimes Brendan just for the simple fact that everything could change so quickly with how the game is kind of formatted today with the transfer portal and early you know designation to the NFL draft and numbers could change very quickly to your question though me and Brian have talked about this on the podcast so it's not a secret I probably would have waited a little bit on Wayful, just mm-hmm. a little bit you know I would have let the board develop a little further because to your point there's a lot of really talented players on there, man. And I, I mean, I probably would have taken a little bit of it into the 2022 season, you know, their high school season to kind of continue to evaluate some of these players. So yeah, I think, I think that I think for part of the question, I probably would have waited just because I think the board's really talented, not necessarily because of the numbers as mm-hmm. much, but I, I, again, I really, I do push back just a little bit on the numbers because that yeah. thing could just change so quickly. I think the other thing, Ryan, is I think sometimes you have to understand, too. And, Brendan, I think this is a very fair question. Absolutely. Ryan and I both asked it. But I think sometimes you have to understand that this staff doesn't view recruiting as just acquisition of the highest-ranked best players possible from a physical talent standpoint. I've talked to several Notre Dame coaches over the, the last year, last seven, eight months, especially. And one of the big mantras from coach Freeman has been, you have to make sure that you're not just bringing in talented players, but you've got to bring in kids that serve that, 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 that fit this place. And, and any coach will tell you that knows how to develop rosters. There's been kids that you, you go back and look at Alabama's years. There's going to be a couple of kids here. You're like, why are they sign that kid? Because that kid may not be a star. He may just be a, a role player, but there's always a need for a guy that's going to bring the energy and the leadership that a Kurt Heinrich is going to bring. Now, if another Kurt Heinrich was coming along next year, say, I'm not taking that guy. You need better talent. That's a good argument to make. But understand what you're sacrificing by not taking that kid. Mm-hmm. The leadership, that work ethic, the whole, yeah. if you don't bring it today, you're going to have to deal with me. Right? Not every great player has Important. that. 
right? And so it, it, it it's called roster building, and, and it's important. It's not like, you know, when we were playing, you know, college football, and I cannot wait for it to come back out. I mean, you're just trying to get all the, the, the five stars, right? And when, you're, when your dynasty is really rolling, that's pretty much all you land, you know, yeah, except right? positions where they don't have any five stars. That's not real life. In real life, hey, you know what? Maybe this kid isn't as good as such and such and such and such. But you know what I'm going to get from this kid? I'm going to get a kid that I know can play the nose. I know a kid that's going to give me everything he's got every single day he's here. That's going to be a leader. That's going to bring toughness. Mm-hmm. And he, he's a top 250 player. We're not like right. we're talking about some guy that's like a, you know, no, some scrub. some three-star kid who who can't play, right? This is a kid that can play. But if I'm just talking about recruiting rankings, yeah, I, I get that. I understand the whole, uh, you know, did you really need to take him now? But I think the reason they took him is, there's nobody like him in the class that's going to provide some of the intangibles they're looking for. doesn't mean that other kids aren't hard workers or good leaders. It's just when you find that kind of kid that whether it's Western PA kid, Jersey kid, there's just certain regions in the country where it's like, yeah, you feel like if you're going to get a kid from there, you know, you're getting a worker, you know? Yeah, and, no I, and I, and I think that's, that's kind of the thing. And you know, but, there's a lot of, a lot of the kids that Notre Dame's landed from Jersey over the years, from Quentin Nelson to Clarence Lewis. Right. I mean, when you talk to Notre Dame coaches about Clarence Lewis, for instance, nobody at works that kid. You know, we, we'll have some questions about him later in the chat about his productivity, but nobody at works that kid. And you hear that with almost every Jersey kid that Notre Dame has signed the last 10, 15 years. You know, for that. you hear similar things from Western PA kids like Robert Hainsey's and guys like that. You just, those are the workers. That's just because they come the type of background they come from, sure. the blue collar nature of it, the coal mine family, you know, tree type of thing. That's just you just get that kind of mentality. Well, in any team sport, you need glue guys. You do. You, they're not necessarily going to be the best player on the team, but you need those guys that are going to just mm-hmm. work, 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 and they're going to expect work out of other guys. Those those guys can be found on every single winning team. Period. Mm-hmm. Whether it's baseball, football, soccer, doesn't matter. You need those kind of glue kids to hold it together, right? That It's one of the things that makes good teams great, in my opinion. Yes, mm-hmm. you need those superstars. You do. But you also need those glue guys. And maybe he becomes one of those glue guys. They only make grinders in New Jersey, baby. That's all I got to say. There it is. Never and been. he just went and ruined it. Never <laughs> been. <laughs> he ruined it. No plans.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.